Disclaimer at the top, guys. This episode deals with the Abrahamic religions and mostly will focus on the Catholic Church and religion in the United States. There is a mention of Judaism and usury being a part of the beginning of a stereotype, and it is important to say that this is not the only reason, and that indeed the persecution of the Jewish people into certain jobs and castes intensified the stereotype greatly. And with that said, enjoy the show. Hello and welcome to another week of Take the Dive. My name is Tyler, and as always, I am joined by my lovely co-host, Alex. Alex, please say hi to the people for me. Hello, people. We'll be taking a dive into God and money, the covetous relationships between the two. We'll also be talking a little bit about health and wealth and the prosperity gospel. Let's take the dive. Hello again, guys, and welcome once more. This week, we're going to be talking about God and money. Alex, what do you think about the subject so far? So far, I mean, we've done our research, we've we've took our classes, and it's it's a spicy subject, to say the it least. It is. It's a bit it's a of bit a spicy, spicy subject. Yeah. It's a bit spicy there. Yeah, it's a, it's a really in-depth topic I've, I've found that I could... I've, could find quite a bit of information on. I, I feel like I'm pretty excited about this this episode here. I feel like we've yeah, got some, yeah. some pretty good info here. So should be interesting. Should be interesting. We're gonna start at the beginning with this episode. And what do I mean by the beginning? Well, around Grecian times and around the turn of from the Old Testament to the New Testament and so on. And in the early days, we had this. In the early days, being this Grecian time, we had this idea of usury. So describe, describe to me what that is, Alex. What, what yeah, is usury. usury. It's, it, this isn't a very common term we hear, but it's actually extremely important. Usury is, the at the very basic definition, it is asking for money back after loaning money to someone else. Or necessarily gaining more money from the loan, gaining more value from the loan than was originally given. And this was thought of for a very long time back in the day and in a lot of uh, religions as well as uh, philosophers in Greece defined for themselves is that moral or not is that okay to do as a moral person and so these were many different sectors of religions thinking about this sectors of religions and philosophical thought and so most of them landed on the idea that this is a bad thing this is sinful or it's unnatural, as the Greek, uh, the Greek philosophers said, it's an unnatural kind of thing to want to gain more value out of something that doesn't necessarily exist yet. Right, like you're, you're loaning something to someone and then expecting more out of it, kind of. Exactly. Al- already so, being kind of, a, kind of a, a meanness on top of that. Exactly. And so we see in, in religious texts, especially in the, the Old Testament, they say that a loan should be charity. It's not something that you are necessarily uh, trying to make any money off of. Rather, this is just because you're trying to help your fellow man become better. And that's the purpose of loaning. It's not to make money off of it. And it's important to talk about every object has technically two values to it. Everything that we can sell or buy, products, whatever, they have two values to that. One value is a monetary value, how we relate to it in terms of money. And the Mm -hmm. other value is the literal 
value that it provides to a human. So what that right. means is that water, for example, is two bucks bottled, right? Monetary, but for a human, it's nigh invaluable because we right. desperately need it. It has the value of intense secondary value in that sense. Right. And so money was a bit confusing. Money was a bit weird when it first started coming around because you started trading not because of the secondary value that I mentioned of the object, but the, you know, the uh, monetary value mm -hmm, mm -hmm. of that object. And so that's when really lending were originally, well, you were just lending this man needs water or this family needs water or whatever. I will give them my water. Right. You were doing a kindness rather than you were doing a kindness, but then money started coming into play and money was this weird thing that gave things this gave products, this monetary value. And it became sort of the question of, well, gaining money is the pursuit of gaining, gaining money good is it just and so right. on the pursuit of gaining this valuable thing that doesn't have that secondary value in no way does it do that a starving man and a starving man's in a place where you know he can't just buy food giving him food is so much more valuable than giving him a dollar right you know right. what i mean and right so it was very confusing at first and a lot of people talked about this and saying you know well the accumulation of wealth for the purpose of itself is sinful. And that's where mm -hmm. Ursary comes in. Usury, Usury, I keep saying Ursary, Usury. And so this was forbidden in basically all religions. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. A long, long time stereotype about Jewish religion and Judaism was that they were these lenders, these bankers, and so on for a long, long time. And one of the potential reasons of that was in Judaism, it was allowed for non-Jews. You were allowed to commit usury to the Gentiles. <laughs> but if they were Jewish, that was a sin. And so other religions necessarily felt that from the Jewish people, they were practicing usury towards them and then thought them as sinful. And that necessarily gave Judaism a very poor start, really sort of the beginning of this prosecution of Judaism from uh, there. Gotcha, gotcha. And so this is from Aristotle to uh, Judaism to uh, Islam, the Abrahamic religions. Usury plays a part and it is very much seen as a sin. Right. So it's interesting because that's pretty that was pretty well accepted for a while and there were other means of then gaining money as they got bigger and bigger and the church started growing heavily this is catholicism specifically in mm -hmm. europe the church started growing very heavily and donations were very common to keep the church running there would be donations and the nobles and so on and the kings and whatever and even the peasants they would give donations and the church started accumulating wealth and this came to question. And in the, this came to question in the Middle Ages, around 910, uh, 1000s, I believe. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we have this imagery of monks, right? The monks who are as such that they give away their worldly possessions and only are there to praise God and work with their hands and so right, on. Right, right. This was a creation by the church necessarily because of the pressure they got with the accumulation of wealth. 
They were starting to see the people were saying, wait a minute, isn't this a sin? Isn't what is this? You're accumulating wealth. What's going on? Right. And that's where monks started coming out and coming from the monks that we know today. They came out of this pressure to the church to, you know, give up its worldly possessions because mm-hmm, the mm-hmm. best possession is your faith with God. Right, right. And so we move ahead a little bit more and money is being very much accumulated. It is very much, we're seeing it all over now. And there's a lot of question about, well, what is usury now? How do we use this? Right. And then this guy comes along, this guy comes along and this guy's a big deal, a big deal in Christianity because he is one of the defining philosophers of modern Christianity. Okay. And his name is Thomas Aquinas. Thomas Aquinas. And he spoke and wrote about many different things across religion and across Christianity and so on. And how one should act, how we should define these things and so on. And he came to the part of usury and avarice. Okay. Which is, which is kind of like desire for you know, something else, right? Like a, like a greed or something like a longing for a, it's, it's an, it's a greed. It's a wanting of other things, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. This avarice. And he was discussing avarice and in the beginning, avarice was seen as wanting material gain. Okay. Just at the base level, it was wanting material gain, wanting anything to uh, better, uh, to like make yourself, higher up than someone or whatever, just material wanting was forbidden. And he said, wait a minute, let's rethink that. And he redefined avarice from being just material gain to being, uh, to, to quote him, he defines avarice not as the desire for wealth, but as a quote unquote, immoderable desire of wealth. Interesting. Mm -hmm. And this changed the game because what he was saying then he continued he said that then it is okay for someone to then seek wealth if it is necessary for him to keep with his condition of life end quote keep with his condition of life and so this did two things twofold at the same time and it's pretty insane Number one, it said then that the rich or the people who are born rich and who have lavish lifestyles then are perfectly okay to continue trying to accumulate wealth Mm. because it's therefore necessary to continue the condition of life that they were born into. Right, right. What do you think that meant to the peasants? Ah, quite the opposite, probably. It meant the peasants are in their condition of life and them wanting or yearning to be in the other position of these nobles would be avarice. Right. It would be sinful. So it's the old switcheroo. Exactly. The peasants thusly should stay where they are in their life, their position, their definition of condition of life. Which again is like really starting to sound like that health and wealth and prosperity gospel that we see so much nowadays, which of course yes. we'll get into, but yes, which we'll come to later for sure. And so this is really laying the groundwork. This guy is stupendously influential into the modern thought of Christianity. 
Mm-hmm. This guy, it's hard to understate it. It's really hard to understate it. And he was influenced by Aristotle intensely. Okay, okay. And a lot of his, his beliefs came from Aristotle. But in any particular way, well, like, or like, like avarice and, and, usury oh, okay. and stuff like that, saying. he was yeah, just yeah, sort yeah. of, he, he did follow that idea, but this right here was a massive change in Christian attitudes. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Right. And this moved in to mercantilism, right? We have not long after we have mercantilism in which a nation to keep itself strong to keep itself in its condition of being strong thus needs to get gold and fight for gold and we have this idea of god gold and glory right right mercantilism changes to colonialism and we see that the colonials thought that their god-given right to keep their condition was that they could go to these other lands and pillage and dominate them and reap them for their rewards and rape them for their rewards would be a better term. Right, correct, correct. Well, then that, that meant they were, they were keeping their own, right? They were keeping that, the They were extracting the and lifestyles. Were... And why was it not, you know, ungodly to do this, to rape and kill and so on? Well, it was because they weren't Christian. They were heathens. Mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's the difference. We see that. We see that a lot. Yeah, in history, I feel like. Oh yes, you know, the, the big ex- the, that'll that'll chestnut the excuse there. Mm-hmm. The heathen nation. The heathen nation, and this is heathenism, and so on, was not a purely Christian idea. We need to say right. that first. Right. Heathenism has been throughout all religions. This idea of us, the people, the righteous, the just, the faithful, and others who are not such. Heathenism is akin to paganism. Yeah, yeah exactly. In this sense. Exactly. And pagans is doesn't mean non-Christian. It means not of the major, uh, I'm sorry, major religion of that time. The people who were right, not practicing right. the major religion. So this was not a Christian thing specifically. Right, right. But we are that talking from the Western world, from the European standpoint, mm-hmm. this God and money connection through mercantilism and so on. And so we were seeing that. More God, more money. <laughs> more or God. More money. more money, more God. What was it? Did gaining money lead to godliness? Or was it that if you are godly or faithful, that money you will lead to you? What was it, Tyler? What do you think? Well, I think that, yeah, I think that you're kind of right on that. Um, we kind of see this happen early on in the beginnings of our country a bit, where we have, uh, you felt closer to God by... Uh, striving to do well at your job and doing well at your job meant that you gain some sort of monetary, you know, uh, sustenance, I should say. Only for the white male landowners, for sure. Um, so in that, in that regard, yeah, it was, it was almost like a, you know, more money, more God type of, type of thing. And we prided ourselves on that in the early 1900s here in the, in the country as just being, um, you know, kind of, it's almost how like capitalism really got its start in a lot of ways. Um, because we, again, felt that because we were, were striving to do this wonderful job that we were doing and getting more money because of that, that, you know, God must want that for us. Right. You know, mm-hmm. that meant that, that meant that we were doing a good job. That meant that we were then in the eyes of God, I guess, um, you know, doing well. Um, and so that kind of leads to this, this whole kind of prosperity gospel um 
which is what they it's referred to in a lot of ways. And it's essentially just, you know, you, you doing well in your life or, or, or being in the position you're in is because God wants you to be in that position. Right. So anyone mm-hmm. that's kind of not in that position is maybe again, ungodly or maybe slightly heathenistic or something. Um, which of course we've seen, you know, pretty prominently over the past, you know, 50 years, I think even, um, a lot of, uh, like televangelists kind of hop on that same thing. We have uh, a guy that kind of created the whole movement of that being the, the, what is referred to as the new thought movement. Um, and I believe it's, his name is, yeah, new thought, right? Yeah. Okay. You're like, what, what is that about? And it kind of comes from the early teachings of, uh, like Emerson, and stuff they were really big into this kind of it's almost like uh you have, you've ever heard of like the you know the book the secret you know it's kind of that like um p- like willing things into existence kind of like by the power of thought yes yes power of thought mm-hmm. yeah exactly like if you really want that money then you just need to like pray on it hard enough and you'll receive that money so we had a guy kind of in the early 1900s this guy's name is phineas parkhurst Quimby again kind of the founder of uh the new the new thought movement he was a big uh Mesmer fan who I guess at the time um Fra- Franz Mesmer was his name he was a doctor okay. um it was really big into what is considered kind of like what he called like animal mag- magnetism kind of almost being like that there was some sort of like astronomical force between you know, animals and, and humans and stars and planets and all these things, there was some sort of inherent like magnetism or like force in between them, you know, which is a really interesting thought in and of itself. Um, of course, this, this Quimby guy kind of took that and ran with it a little bit and, um, you know, kind of went with the, the notion that, you know, you could kind of will these, these things into existence if you really wanted them. And I think that the reason being is that he maybe even experienced some sort of life-threatening issue uh, at some point in his life, I think he maybe got pneumonia, bronchitis, something like that. And of course it being early 1900s, that was a, a bit of a death sentence, I feel like. So at the time, I think he kind of was not really, um, receiving much from any of the medication in the early 1900s. And so I th- he sort of kind of miraculously got better according to, according to him. And, and I think that it was because of, you know, his, his thought process basically being like, he thought that he could will himself into into you know being in in the embrace of of god or something kind of you know almost willing himself healthy so along with this prosperity gospel along with what this this quimby guy was talking about goes along with um you know this this prosperity gospel that goes hand in hand with a, a lot of the christianity we see in in america now um and it kind of goes against in a lot of ways i think christians maybe find it goes against um the bible Um, basically just meaning, you know, like, how is it that you can serve something like money, you know, be so devoted towards the, the accumulation of some sort of financial wealth yet also follow God? Because I I think in general, God is one of those things where it's like you, you're not really supposed to serve anyone other than God, you know? So if you're doing things for the purpose of money, you know, are you, are you really doing things for the purpose of God or are you doing them for yourself? You know, it kind mm-hmm. of creates this, a bit of a, a bit of an inherent like selfishness, I feel. And I think that a lot of, you know, maybe more liberal Christians feel that way as well. Um, and I think that it has kind of gotten people like the Austins in trouble a few times over the course of, you know, their careers and things like that. 
When did this idea come about? Can you serve God and money at the same time? I, again, I think probably the early 1900s um, okay. came along with with that like new thought movement because you just start you start seeing more and more um, preachers and and uh, pastors, I guess, um, mm. kind of forming on that that same principle that they can become kind of like almost like healers or something in a way. You know, it goes mm. it goes along with like this like this occult theme um, that we've seen for quite some time. Almost that it's like you know you have this innate ability maybe gifted to you from God, right? Um, that you can then assert onto people if, if they need, you know, healing or, 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 or things like that. I know that there's a lot of churches that are, you know, they you kind of see them as gifts and stuff. And that's where like a lot of the uh, like talking in tongues and stuff comes from. It, it starts a lot of that with like the new thought theory. And that that is like some sort of inherent gift, you know, that you're receiving from God. So that there's there's a lot of like, there's a lot of themes at play there for one, but a lot of it is, is ultimately that you receive this ability through God and you have the ability to then carry out God's will based on, again, this ability, almost, almost making it out as if you're like a God in yourself, mm-hmm. you know, kind mm-hmm. of saying like, I have this ability, so I am God, godly, you know, like he wants me to have this and he wants me to serve him and wants me to serve other people. Which isn't technically like a bad notion, I feel. I think it just gets misconstrued over time. Um, you know, you have it kind of forming into this like, you know, okay, I can heal you. So then I, you know, maybe I need some sort of payment for that. You know, like I'm providing you a service. So why don't you, in the name of God, provide me with some sort of like financial assistance, you know? Absolutely. So that I can so that I can continue my my practice or what whatever it you know may be, and so that's kind of where you see a lot of those large churches pop up and and a lot of those those things happen. This is that fundamental change in thought of yes, I am put in my position of privilege, right, by God, exactly, like an ordained position or something, yeah, exactly. And then the question then becomes, how then do I use that to do God's will. Right. And what does that mean? Do God's will. And in right. the past, in the way past 2000 years ago, where we started, the statement would then be charity, bring right. the unprivileged up. Right. That's the big point. Exactly. But then we started seeing some changes, right? We started seeing some changes, especially at this point where you're talking about in the 19th century, where the will, the personal will became God's will. Exactly. If I am put in this place and I am a soldier of God, then my will becomes God's will almost. And I think that I right. need to thusly use my influence in a manner that necessarily isn't charity. Exactly. Exactly. Well, and also you kind of get to that position where you feel that, be- well, you're in that position because God wants you to be right. Mm-hmm. And so you've got this wealth because God wants you to have this wealth. Well, you know, you, you kind of then start going on that notion that like, because you're wealthy, that means God wants you to be wealthy. And because maybe your neighbor is poor, that means God wants him to be poor. And so it kind of, kind of falls into this really like almost negative form of thinking, which again, a lot of Christians, I think find, you know, kind of are able to poke holes in a lot of that, like prosperity, uh, you know, the health and wealth kind of theology that a lot of that pops up. We've been talking for a while now about Proverbs ten twenty two historic accounts and so on about these people. But Tyler, were you able to find any 
direct quotes or anything from the scripture or the Bible itself. You have that like prosperity theology that kind of cherry picks these things out of the Bible, you know, that, that picks these, these things, these particular uh, proverbs and stuff. I found one that's Proverbs 10, 22, that quotes, it says, no ill befalls the righteous, but the wicked are filled with trouble. So that already kind of, you know, again, kind of harkens back to that, like, you know, I, I'm righteous and God wants me to be right. And so then it turns into that, like, well, if the other people are not, you know, they're not wealthy and they're not in this righteous position that I'm in, then they must be wicked, right? They're filled with troubles. It makes, in a way, you could interpret that as it is sinful to be poor. Exactly, exactly. Very much so. And it very much, in, in, you know, imprints the the uh, impression of, of money, like how, how, how money plays its role in religion now. You know, all of a sudden, you're rich, so God wants you to be rich, and they're mm-hmm. poor... God wants them to be poor. Um, maybe they're heathens because they don't necessarily believe in God. Maybe they're not doing the righteous thing, so God has put them in that position. You know, you're already then casting like some sort of aspersion or some sort of judgment based on, you know, maybe just your own personal interest. You know, at that point, your own your own personal gain. Yeah, and this can be even translated over very almost directly of the capitalist toxicity of if you're poor it's your fault exactly it bleeds over into that very heavily very heavily um and it goes back to that kind of last episode we were talking about that you know that stigma on welfare you know it's like those Mm -hmm. people are there because they they didn't pick themselves up and and do the right thing or something you know that's that's their thing where they are they're just there because they're supposed to be you know maybe some people think that way um again it just goes back to that real real ugly view of, of welfare or, you know, in general, healthcare is another one um, mm-hmm. that we kind of tend to do that same thing for, you know, it's, well, they're not healthy, they're not wealthy. So you know, why, do, why do we need to help them? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> A literal exactly. no ill befalls the righteous. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. So it, it definitely kind of turns into, I think, a toxic form of of thinking uh, definitely a very negative theology to follow in general. Um, I think if you're trying to be more Christian, I think that that is perhaps the wrong way to go. I personally am not very Christian, but, w- but from what I understand, you know, Jesus wasn't super into uh, monetary or financial gain. I think he was really not um, in favor of it. It's easy to see how, how people can kind of start cherry, cherry picking those, those instances and, and kind of just picking out the, the things that they've, find suit their their lifestyle the best you know it's easiest Mm -hmm. to do that right you know we find the things that work for us best and we kind of decide to you know turn away from maybe the truth of things or or the the actual reality of of things um which again you know i I think if you're trying to be a true christian you you have to like accept that truth and just know that you know that is probably not the right thing to be doing and again going back to that like you know why should you be um yearning or lusting after something monetary instead of trying to uh you know maybe do something for your fellow man you know help out your community or something not not that you can't do both i suppose but it it just tends to like you know go down that again worshiping uh you know some sort of false idol type of thing you know and not not following in god's footsteps or not following in jesus's footsteps rather you know being the most humble you possibly can and and freeing yourself of any um financial burden you know because again Mm -hmm. that's that's lessening your ability to to be close to god at that point 
Now, did you find anything else? Did you find any other examples of scripture? Yeah. Proverbs twelve twenty one. The blessing of the Lord makes the rich, makes rich. He adds no sorrow with it. Again, that kind of goes back to the, the previous one, the no ills befall the righteous, but the wicked are filled with trouble. Um, it kind of, you know, like, how do you know if you're being blessed? Um, and if you are, you know, how, how can you tell that that other person isn't also in some way? After the break, we take a look at America's megachurches, so stay tuned. Hey guys, Alex here with some exciting news. We have a Patreon. If you like what we are doing and want to help us be able to provide more quality content, please go check it out. Currently, there are two tiers. The first gives you access to our after show, where Tyler and I take on ridiculous and funny questions and play them out in a rambunctious way. The second tier gives you the chance to submit the questions that we answer on the after show. This is a great way to interact with us directly. So, if any of that has your interest, head over to patreon.com forward slash take the dive pod and check it out. We greatly appreciate it. Again, that's patreon.com forward slash take the dive. Now let's get back to the show. So we move forward. We have these scriptures where we have these thoughts that were developed by people like Thomas Aquinas and like Quimby and so on. And then mega churches start to pop up. We have this almost repetition in history of an accumulation of wealth towards the church and then a showing off of that wealth. If we can have a massive church that has massive beauty and architecture, craziness, and so on, then we are showing our wealth, we are showing our godliness, and we must continue to show that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Right? And exactly. so we, we see a couple of characters that a lot of people, a lot of Americans know. I believe you you brought up Osteen earlier. Mm-hmm, what's, mm-hmm. what's the deal with Osteen? I think it's probably the, the best example of that, you know, um, televangelist, megachurch leader type of thing. Um, where again, you see, it goes right back to the, you know, the prosperity theologies where he's, he's kind of in that position because God wants him to be. And he, he's, you know, helping those that are like him in those positions of power, because again, he's, you know, like ordained, you know, feels that he's, he's been blessed with this ability and that God is kind of giving him that, that power in a way, I guess, is, is a way to, is a way to say it. But, um, of course he's come under fire a few times, you know, uh, because of this particular theology. And, and again, it just, a lot of people tend to scoff at the fact that, you know, this person is worth millions and millions of dollars. I think Joel Osteen is worth over, I think it's over 50 million the last time I looked, mm-hmm. um, which is an insane amount to be honest for any, any preacher. Yeah, he and his wife have kind of been under some fire lately. Um, in the past few years, there was a little issue um, several years back with Hurricane Harvey, where they were kind of people were kind of scrutinizing them a bit for not immediately opening up their doors to their their giant mega church they had. Um, it's called Lake Church, I believe. To the people who needed help in the uh, the hurricane and stuff, and and I think people were kind of really irritated by that being, you know, how can you, how can you kind of call yourself a man of God or be a Christian and not open your, the doors to the, like the church that you own that could, I think it seats maybe 16,000 people or something. Mm, Yes. Yeah. Um, and 
And so I think people were rather irritated by the fact that he could so easily kind of just, you know, ignore that situation. I think they kind of came out to the press and, and maybe tried to fix things as much as they could. But um, as far as I know, it was it was them kind of maybe just kind of turning away because it doesn't really provide that, you know, heroic head like financial headline that, that that these types of people would really like you know it's it's not they're not gaining anything from it you know it's mm-hmm. they, they would have been them just giving giving things out and on top of that they they uh also this past year received uh millions and millions and millions of dollars in ppp money oh, um, yeah. for being closed during the pandemic and whatnot which initially like i i find not to be like that big of an idea like an idea really I, I get that they have like people on their payroll they have to pay all you know hundreds of employees and stuff like that i think the biggest concern with people's uh that people had were and it is a, a major concern in my opinion but the biggest concern was it being a religious um entity and and the state then providing financial backing for it through the taxpayer dollar mm. yes yeah, so this would be a tax exempt Yes, it's a tax-exempt organization that then is is receiving tax dollars, you know, on yeah. on top of that. Um, on top of receiving, yeah, nothing but donation and, and it being tax-exempt, they're now receiving the taxpayer dollar, which kind of goes against that whole church and state thing we deal with from time to time. Kind of directly correlates to, I believe it was Jefferson um, back in the day, early 1800s. Um, when he wrote the the Virginia Accords, I believe is what it was. Okay. Specifically outlined that no, you know, religious organization or entity, any, you know, preacher, pastor, father, you know, nobody within the confines of, you know, operating within the church should receive the 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 dollar of a taxpayer. Mainly just being that everyone should be free to decide, you know, what religious belief they're into or what religious... Um, yeah, I guess what, what religious belief they're, they're about. Um, because at the time it was really, you know, there was quite a few different religious sects going on and it was a really kind of tumultuous time in the U S for a lot of religions. So it was, I think he was one of the, the, you know, the proponents of, of it being completely separate from, from uh, state at that point in time. Which, yeah, the separation of church and state, as well as the first amendment in and of itself should exempt this completely and make sure that that doesn't happen whatsoever because necessarily i am being forced to make a donation to a religious entity to a religious entity exactly that i don't follow or whatever and this this goes the same way for christians you know who may be happy about this well their dollars are going to other religious entities too yes yeah so it's it's still not something that necessarily meshes very well with what should be in terms no, of definitely not. definitions definitely. by the founding fathers in the constitution. Definitely now real not. quick, I, I think it's very important that we have this televangelism discussion with the king of it all. And that was Oral Roberts or L. Yes, Roberts. Yes, yes, he was yes. the king of it all. And he started this prosperity gospel. He laid that foundation of gaining prosperity through gospel and this gaining money. And right. he, heavily heavily we influenced it right and we right. see some some of the newer folk not the newer folk but the more contemporary folk like uh kenneth copeland kenneth copeland is a man that many people <laughs> would look at and 
almost feel like they see the devil himself. It's very interesting. So I'm not familiar with Copeland. So who who is who is this? Copeland is a hellfire and damnation man. Oh, he okay. is very much he's one of them real serious types. Huh? He's very serious. He is very serious, and he has lots of comments to say about political doings in the United mm-hmm, States. Mm-hmm. And this we see this interesting, funny. We say funny, but horrendous mentality of I am where I am because God loves me and the others who are not where I am and below me are lesser in God's eyes. He was, this is the man who very much has his own private jet and so on. And this, that, and the other with these kind of things Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. on private jet, you know, limos, blah, blah, blah. Oh yeah. the And he was asked about that he really he was like can you please or can you please explain this by the press and he (laughs) came back saying that uh and this is actually a reference to oral roberts copeland came back saying that he can't ride on coach or public planes because the public airliners agitated his spirit hmm that's that's an excuse if i've ever heard one Yes, because these people, quote, you can't manage that today in this dope-filled world, getting a long tube with a bunch of demons. Mm, demons. Wow. This is a true invoking of the lesser, the poor, are sinners. Yes. Because they are poor yes. themselves. The blessing of the Lord makes rich. He adds no sorrow with it. That's like a, like a straight-up disgust there. You know, it's like, that's real extreme. That's an extreme approach yes. to take there. I mean, I can see maybe you feeling a little more entitled or something, but demons, wow. Yep, that's pretty intense. It is very intense. Now, he does go on and say that he doesn't literally believe it. It's a biblical thing. It's a spiritual thing. Huh. He doesn't literally believe they are literal demons, but he just falls back and says, yeah, his religion does. But he does literally follow that religion, though, doesn't yes. he? <laughs> so, in Oral Roberts, he, he he's, you know, Copeland was heavily influenced by Oral Roberts, and, and uh, Oral Roberts actually has a university in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and it mm-hmm. has big golden hands, big golden oh, yeah. praying hands showing that prosperity. Yep. And a funny thing is that another kind of prosperity gospel just came to me came to me by mail and funnily from tulsa oklahoma as well and this is known as the saint matthew's churches oh, now, they man. sent a very large packet to me including many different things such as a prayer rug with jesus's face on it and some um some prayers that i have to do these these things have been going on for for years these have been going on for years but this is all about the prosperity that you will gain from God, if you just followed. Quotes that came from it. A a woman from Alabama says, Praise God. It is so wonderful to know that my brother is saved. Pennsylvania. Dear St. Matthew's Churches, God blessed me with over (laughs) $5,000. Texas. Our Lord has blessed us with with a big six-room house. (laughs) God made it possible for us to buy 17 acres, acres of land. That's that's something there. These are the claims 
that St. Matthew's Churches makes, saying that if you were to follow and do the prayer, be on the prayer mat, send this back, and so on, you will gain money and prosperity. Mm, man. And where did these people, where, you know, who are these people targeting at the end of the day? We're not target. these aren't targeting rich people. Well, obviously, obviously, yeah, the rich people are there. They've atoned that, or they've attained that, sorry. Um, And yeah, we're not, obviously, you and I find it funny. I think a a younger person would probably find it a little funny. So Um, it seems like they're, 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 yeah, they're pointing at it, probably the the less informed or the the feeble-minded. And the gullible. Mm -hmm. This is the sad truth. And we see that a lot with the televangelists nowadays, uh, that they occasionally will say that they can, for example, contact the dead. Right, right. And tell you something and predict something about you. And it was it, it may have been Osteen. I'll edit this out if it's not, if it wasn't Osteen. Future Alex says that the guy's name was Peter Popoff. There was a preacher that was proven, a televangelist that was proven to have his wife telling him information about the select people in the audience that he would go to heal or to help or to predict. And she was secretly, he was wearing a a microphone in his ear, not a microphone. He was wearing a a little speaker in his ear that his wife was speaking to him through to give him this information. But in no way was this known by the audience. It was supposed to appear as though it was divine. Right. Right. And this is, if anyone wants to look him up, the big suggestion, the great James Randi. He is a modern, uh, well, sadly, he recently died here, the late uh, great James Randi. But he, being a a magician, made it his life uh, point, his life's purpose, to save the people from being taken advantage of by coming out and proving that these people are liars, and they're just trying hmm. to get your money. And he attacked, I believe, if it was Osteen or the pre, the televangelist uh, pair yeah, that though. decided to do that. He right. attacked them, and he proved them that they were doing it. He proved that they were doing this, that they were abusing it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so we're talking about the mega churches and so on. That's a big deal, and that's a heavy influence in America. Another part of that is their influence in politics, their influence yes, in politics yes. and how and their role that they play in defining politics, in which, in a land of the separation of church and state, which doesn't exist, it's pretty it it's pretty apparent that there is a lot of forced religion in politics, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and we see it on both sides. Honestly, there's pandering to the constituencies on both sides. They try and maybe say that one person is not as religious or follows God as well as the other. But in reality, you know, Biden's Catholic, Mm -hmm. you know, um, George Bush was a Christian. Reagan was a Christian, I believe, Mm -hmm. you know, these Mm -hmm. Obama went to a church every, every weekend. I mean, when Trump was elected, he was, I was avoiding saying Trump because that's a whole nother story. He's not, you can't say he's religious. It's very difficult to say. No, I was going to say he was surrounded by and heavily influenced by yes. most of the leaders. Of yes, and I'll come to that at the very end. I will come to well, that. Well, then that the kind of plays revolution. into that one too. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, exactly. <laughs> and so one thing that I think is a very, uh, a very good documentary, a very important documentary for being able to see the influence of Christianity and the influence of money 
in Christianity and, and driving politics is the Netflix documentary, The Family. Mm-hmm. Now, we'll have a, a full episode probably on this at a later date, so make sure you're uh, subscribed to wherever you get your podcast, subscribe to us and so on, and you'll catch that. So The Family, essentially, just to be brief and not tell too much until, the, until that episode, the core point of it was to have power and success means it was God's will, so thusly anyone who is in power or success is through God's will, no matter right. what. Right, right. And thus, this was used intensely. This was used intensely and evoked whenever Trump was president. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because by and large, it's just, you're pulling cloth over our face if you think that we can believe that Trump was a good practicing Christian. Yeah. Yeah. The imagery of him having cleared the protesters at Lafayette Square violently yes. to hold a Bible upside down and take a picture of it outside of the uh, Episcopal Church there, mm-hmm. insulting the priests and the runners of that church who came out and said it was horrendous. There's no way that you can really say that they're Christian. Yeah, at that point. But it was done. It was done. People did say he was Christian. People believed he was a good Christian and so on. And so the question becomes, if he doesn't follow the Ten Commandments, if he doesn't do that, if he doesn't follow these Gospels and so on, what is he following? And what is Christianity, yeah, thinking that what is he following? Right, right. What makes him Christian? And at the end of the day, it is because he's in power. He's in power, he's successful, and thus, he is a Christian. And this is frightening. This is the full transition. We had it in the beginning with Thomas Aquinas. Aquinas, I always say it funny every time. (laughs) We had it in the beginning with him. And it slowly moved and slowly moved more forward and more forward. And with the rise of capitalism... With the rise of American evangelism, we see that shift take full form in which the way to be faithful, the way to be of God is to be rich and successful. And that's it. You don't have to hit the other check marks. You just need to hit the check mark of being rich and successful and then acting in some way, shape, or form towards God's plan. In America, that means anti-gay rights, anti-LGBTQ plus rights, and I apologize if I missed one. It's against abortion, women's rights, reproductive rights. It's against anything that gets in the way of the accumulation of wealth. Climate change. That gets in the way and thus we can deny it right you know not many people really want to say it but tucker carlson is a great example of an evangelical who is now doing his televangelism in the guise of news yes yes so now he he has done uh, you know an amazingly brilliant thing i'm not saying it's good but he has crafted himself to be in that position of news and televangelism right to make it the full fact 
Mm-hmm. It's becoming mm-hmm. fact rather than a religious belief that is protected under the First Amendment in which everyone else has the right to believe or not to believe. Right. Scary, man. It's a deep episode. It's scary. We're here. It, it's scary. Now. I'm in a place right now, Alex. I'm in, I'm in a dark place. You put me there. <laughs> We're all, yeah. Well, <laughs> I mean, COVID alone showed us a lot of non-charitable, non-community loving attitudes coming from those on the side in general who follow the religious beliefs of power and money. And those in power said it was not it did not exist, and they followed. Because they are godly and God is right. It was from the top down, even. Man, it you was had from people, the top down. You had people that were being so incredibly selfish, I feel, during the pandemic. Um, all based on religious belief. I know so many people that were just... They, they thought that God would take care of them. So, why should they you know, wear a mask or protect themselves or protect others, really. Like, why was that, mm-hmm. you know, like, a, why was why would that matter to them? You know, if, if God was going to protect them, you know, and, and, and do for them what they thought, you know, God would, then, then why wouldn't he do it for, you know, someone else who believed in him and thought the same thing? And maybe, maybe to hell with the others. It's a, it's a scary notion. It's a really scary and selfish notion that we uh, find is all too familiar anymore indeed indeed so that brings us here to the end where we are now where the christian faith in america seems to be going it seems to be spreading and so i want to leave you listeners with this i have met a couple of people over in europe now that are protestant but they're afraid to talk about it they're afraid to say they are and I enjoy discussing religion and, the, and faiths, and, and I attempt in my way to respect them as much as possible and to respect that they have those faiths. So in no way was I coming towards them trying to argue them out of it. In fact, I was really, really interested in why they would want to hide it. And they said, well, because of what Christianity looks like now. Hmm. They believed in loving one another and being charitable and using your privilege to bring up the unprivileged. Right. This is what they've thought Christianity meant. It's what it means to them. Right. And they want to practice in that way and move forward, but they are practicing in silence. They are practicing not wanting for others to know because they feel they may get attacked. They may get attacked. And it's interesting because, yeah, we have this victim culture in America of Christianity being attacked, which is in no way, shape, or form true. Right. In fact, the victims are those Christians who still believe in the cores, in the core point of the Bible with love one another, love all, love thy neighbor, love thyself. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And the perpetrators are the loud Christians, especially in America. So then I ask for those young listeners out there mainly, but old listeners as well, just because I think the younger generations are always the ones that are really trying to push forward new ideas, new thoughts, and so on. It seems that way. It seems that way. And I want to ask then that there be necessarily a liberal revolution. There needs to be a retaking back of the Christian faith. 
and bring it back to where it really was. So, and, and where do you, like, where exactly is that? Well, at the very base of it, if we think of the Ten Commandments, we can all start there. Hmm. And we can highlight the big ones that aren't necessarily being practiced nowadays. Right, right. For example, love thy neighbor. Yeah, one of the most important, I feel. But not a lot of people practice that. Again, it goes right back to that, you know, stuff we had over the pandemic. Mm-hmm. Love thy neighbor, my man. You know, love thy if neighbor. You, if, you, if you love thy neighbor, why don't you help them out? Why don't you, why don't you put, uh, put a mask on your face so you don't spread your virus to my face? <laughs> exactly. So that's what I ask. That hopefully you'll take this in, you'll think about it, and if you are a believer, if you are a faithful person in this belief, and you do see this and say this isn't right, talk about it, share it, find others who are the same way, and push it. Prove to everyone that this isn't what it's about. Well, and I think also to further that conversation, too. And to, and to further that conversation. Don't be afraid or silent anymore. Please be vocal and be loud. Be yes, proud yes. of that faith because you are righteously practicing it in the better, kinder, humane way. Right. And in reality, that's what, as far as I'm aware, Jesus of Nazareth, that's what he wanted all along. Everyone just needs to get along, Alex. Yes. So this brings us to the end of our episode. Thank you again for tuning in. It's been a pleasure. We have enjoyed having you. We hope you enjoyed having us as well. I'm Tyler. (laughs) And I'm Alex. (laughs) There's actually, there is a place that does that. So, guys, make sure to, if, if you like this episode, make sure to like, subscribe, leave, leave a comment, leave some, leave some ratings, give us some ratings if you liked it. I mean, if you didn't like it, it will tell us. We want tell to know us your too. thoughts. Yeah, we want to hear it. We want to hear from tell you guys. Us. You give us a little comment. Give us a shout out. Email at takethedivepod.gmail.com as well as on Twitter at takethedivepod. We're on Spotify. We're on iTunes. We're on Google. We're on the main ones, so just give us that. We're going to be on your brain soon. We're, and we're, we're on your brain soon. So I'm Tyler. And I'm Alex. <laughs> this has been Take the Dive. You guys have a great day. <laughs> Goodbye. Yeah, we'll just let that happen.